Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Jeff Ignacio, host of the Revenue Architect podcast, Revenue Operations Practitioner, and a top 100 RevOps thought leader and influencer. Today with Jeff, we'll be covering three main topics. First, Chief Revenue Officer and Revenue Operations. Does one require the other? Second, what responsibilities does revenue operations need to own versus manage? And third, how to successfully move back and forth from tactical activities to strategic advisor to the revenue executives. Jeff, please take a moment to give a brief overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Great. First of all, appreciate you having me on and the long-winded introduction. Don't know if I deserve all those accolades. But let's just go into a little bit of my background. I have an eclectic background, I think, as most RevOps practitioners do. Came through the ranks, solving business problems through bringing technology in the door in my days during Accenture. And then wore the bag myself and was in a sales role. Feast or famine, really understood what it's like to you know, have your back up against the wall. Went to business school and pivoted over to a finance career supporting sales, where I worked at Google, helping to support both their EMEA and APAC regions. Now, the last couple of years, I've actually moved to be in the front lines supporting sales and marketing in a sales operations and a revenue operations role. And today at a company called Upkeep, we're a Series B funded company focused on solving maintenance workers problems. And my role is to support marketing, sales and our customer service groups. Well, you have one of the most wide reaching backgrounds I've had a chance to talk to you about revenue operations with both the strategic consulting, the financial planning analysis, the actual carrying a bag and being a sales professional, then sales ops and rev ops. And the first question I really wanted to talk to you about was why do you think revenue operations seems to have hit an inflection point of ascendancy in the B2B tech industry? Why do you think it's rev ops time to shine, Jeff? Well, the first thing is when you're launching your go-to-market, you're going to want to build up what that motion is going to look like and provide all the necessary infrastructure. And so if you look at the marketplace, the autonomy of providing support has come down to the departments, but it's created this leaky and creaky handoff and alignment between both sales marketing, and then subsequently from sales to CS, and then on the referral basis from CS all the way to marketing. And so Although we've gained efficiencies at the departmental levels and, and within the functional levels, we're actually finding that there's an incongruency that the customers are experiencing by experiencing this handoff from marketing to sales and sales to CS. It's not a conveyor belt. It's actually a circle that allows the customers to work with various parties at companies to have a great experience. And I think more and more companies are starting to compete, not necessarily on efficiency, but on customer experience. And revenue operations is one such driver to enable that. Well, that is a perfect opportunity to double click on something you said, because I was going to ask you, do you think RevOps is more than a combination of sales ops, marketing ops, and CS ops, more of an efficiency play? But you actually 
turned it around and said, it's focused on the customer experience and to make sure that those handoffs and leaks between marketing, sales, and customer success doesn't impact the customer experience. How do you actually measure how RevOps is helping improve the customer experience and that buyer's journey? So one thing that I like to work on and think about is that our work is not necessarily project planning or program planning. It's a lot more around product management. And so if you look at your stakeholders as your internal customers, from marketing to sales or CS, you're thinking about what are all the programs I'm launching internally? What systems are they interacting with? How can they access the information so that when they do interact with their customers, they have the relevant experience and touch points that they can then bring up live with the customer to give them the information to derive the value they're looking for. Now, that's the ultimate goal of what Revenue Operations is trying to do when it comes to the external facing. And then when internal facing, when you're thinking about developing your strategy or your planning, it's the analytics, the insights, the information that executive leadership needs to have at their fingertips so that they can plan accordingly and cascade that down all the way to middle management, down to the front lines. So I think more that RevOps is aligned with product management. And if you have that in mind, you should be thinking about, okay, what's the best in class product experience look like from a process system and enablement perspective? Well, that makes me think about this growing go-to-market motion of product-led growth. And do you think that revenue operations has even more positive impact on customer experience in a PLG motion than a traditional sales-led motion? So PLG is rather new before you had the pilot or try before you buy, but now you have these free trials for many products and then you are gated before you hit a premium wall. So for those who aren't familiar with product-led growth, Now, that motion itself is somewhat different from what many revenue operations teams support. In fact, you see these growth operations teams supporting the free to paid conversion. And so at what point does the sales team interact? At what point does the marketing and the product team separate sort of attribution? You see these concepts of MQL that was introduced about a decade ago. The concept of PQL is now entering, you know, 2020, 2018. You're actually seeing this term bubble up a lot more. And so I actually think many of the revenue operations peers that I've spoken with are still brushing up and learning on the subject. We're starting to create new ground around how to support PLG. Yes. Interesting response because I think about the proliferation of functions. We've had sales operations for 20 plus years in B2B tech industry. Then as we started to invest in marketing tech stack, we got marketing operations. And then with the CS tech stack, we invested in CS operations. And I'm not necessarily a big fan of saying, well, since we're going to a product-like growth motion, that we need a different operations team, growth operations. Don't you think revenue operations really should encompass the entire acquisition, retention, and expansion program regardless? Of motion type? I think why you see the spillover of the new operations function is because of the skill set necessary to support it. So when it comes to product-led growth, it's actually much more ingrained with the data. So for example, you have this customer who's not paying you per se, but you're trying to understand what their utilization is of your specific product. That requires you to be able to connect to your product database bring that and merge it and blend it to a CRM record, and then have your sales reps or your BDRs or SDRs, whatever your motion is, to understand what value or utilization are they driving. But the guts to get the data in between those two different systems is somewhat of a different skill set because you're jerry-rigging or at least connecting through ETLs and these other various tools 
So if we get to a point where the systems are plug and play, turnkey, integrate right into Salesforce, and all you're doing is focusing on the enablement and surfacing the information, then I do think you can spill that on to your, say, your sales ops or your marketing ops team. If you're lucky, your sales development ops team. But right now I'm seeing a lot of you know conversations around how to get the product data in your CRM is actually very difficult. And it requires a data operations, a data skill set that some teams may or may not have. Yeah. You know, I'm going down a different path than I thought I would with you, Jeff, because that product analytics information and a PLG motion, you're exactly right. How is it going to be used in a CRM tool that a CS or a salesperson would need to use to reach out to that free or pilot customer? Well, let me back up for a minute because on RevOps itself and a traditional sales-led motion company, do you believe that revenue operations can only truly be successful at a high level with a CRO that owns all the go-market functions? Or can you be successful with three different heads, CMO, chief sales officer, and head of customer success or client success? I would say it depends. There are certain companies, particularly at large companies, where you're not going to have an over-encompassing group. You're going to have pockets and specializations. So for example, if you're at Facebook or Google or Amazon, their entire teams focus on regional sales operations, or their product sales operations, they're specializing in specific sales. So there may not necessarily be a, a CRO, there might be you know, a regional CRO, maybe it's called a VP of sales. Now at a startup, I would say in my experience, I've worked for several CROs where they've had the mandate of going full funnel from top of funnel all the way to customer success. That's where I've seen a lot of synergy because now you're merging one, the idea of understanding how a customer first finds out about you thinks about you versus other solutions and doing nothing as, a, as an option also, all the way to when they engage with someone on the sales team to when they close and hopefully they become a loyal customer that refers others. Now, if you have that, that customer journey in mind end to end, it paints a picture of how RevOps should you know at least prioritize their time. And that's when I think those two will be able to provide the infrastructure and the support to enable that said journey. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of the common questions I receive, and I conducted research a few months ago in partnership with HubSpot and with GoNimbly of what's the state of revenue operations maturity. And one of the interesting things we found regarding stage was around 20 million ARR, give or take 10 to 20 percent. That was when we saw revenue operations becoming a formalized organization structure. But what's interesting, Jeff, when we got up to 100 million, revenue operations as a centralized function was less prominent, and it went back to more regional or departmental. So the question I have for you is, have you built a framework or anything that shows a CRO or CEO? Here's how you should initially consider deploying revenue operations, and here's how it should be structured. Or have you at least thought about that? Definitely have thought about it. In terms of a framework, nothing formal. What I define as revenue operations under four pillars, P's in a pod is how I like to think about it. Strategy and execution are P's in a pod. That's process, enablement, advisory, and support. Advisory is your data maturity model and how you deliver insights and how you drive decision-making. Enablement may or may not necessarily be the qualitative pieces around you know, how you pitch or position or handle objections, but it can also be at the very minimum, you know, how do you interact with certain processes? What controls are in place? How do you send the quote? things like that. Now, where I do think it makes sense is, you know, these companies that are, you know, moving from product market fit to building out their first go-to-market motion, it might just be inbound or just conversions from your free trials. Yes, you're going to want at minimum an admin to at least instantiate your systems and carve away time from your VP of sales or your founder 
from being in the CRM to focusing on, you know, potentially higher level value added activities. And then from there, the natural tendency is, okay, we've gotten our systems up to a place where it's bootstrap, we're growth hacking our way through this, but now we need some formalized strategy. And that's when I think typically, you know, companies are bringing in these senior leaders who may or may not be you know, managers of people. They might be, you know, what I call the proverbial team of one. I loved your four pillars, process, enablement, advisory service, advisory, and systems, right? Yes. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I put together a framework a few years ago and on the foundational layer of revenue operations, I put data as the foundation and then kind of process and platforms or systems at the second layer and then insights turning into foresights, the advisory services. Let me ask you a question real quick. How do you balance all the day-to-day tactical activities that you get thrown at you as a revenue operations professional, whether it's data harmonization, data quality, systems integration, reports, et cetera, and still try to be that strategic advisor to the CRO and help her actually turn those insights that you're creating into predictable foresights of how you need to change the business. It's never easy, but if you have the idea of around, okay, an allocation of time, how much should be spent on the strategic, the tactical, and the routine? you start to have hopefully your splits on how you should spend your time. Now, if you're imbalanced around that design, it's either some sort of seasonality around some sort of pending deadline, or quite frankly, your, your overcapacity. Um, at that point, as a leader, it's your time to uh, raise the hand and say, okay, well, if we wanted to be able to deliver on all, as many of these you know, priority ones or priority twos, highest priority items, let's examine our capacity. And that's when folks who are referred to as team of ones should raise their hand and start building and should ask for building a team. The second piece, which I think is extremely important, is the idea of identifying what is critical path for the goals that we want to achieve. And then from there, being ruthless around your prioritization and then communicating and setting expectations with your stakeholders. Now, that is very classic, you know, consulting program project management 101 that oftentimes you're not going to learn by doing a Salesforce trailhead. And so taking those soft skills to really understand, you know, how can we figure out what's important to the business, deliver on it, raise my hand and raise the alarm and say, we can't deliver or we can deliver, but maybe at a lower quality or, Hey, you know, we just need to to build out the team. So those are the things that you want to start thinking about as you're building out your revenue operations muscle. Yeah. Let me double click on that ruthless prioritization. Guys, you know, I've been a CRO multiple times and I cannot tell you how many times I just turned around to my operations leader, one of the operations resources and say, oh, I need this report or I need you to analyze this. And I don't even consider that I've just probably requested 40 hours of work for the next week and they've got a full-time job and strategic objectives I put in front of them. How do you recommend a RevOps professional when they first form a RevOps function to kind of set that expectation with their leader that hey, I need to carve out and allocate my time to these tactical activities and this strategic and hold your boss to that standard? So managing upward is, is a skill that we can all work on continually and, and be better at, but it starts with communication and aligning and level setting on expectations. So someone asking for a detailed report hopefully you're in a position that you've anticipated that question and that you have at least, you don't have a direct answer, you have a tangential answer with a glide path to it. And then secondly, asking, okay, well, what are you looking for? Why are you asking this question? You might be asking a pointed question that's part of a larger strategic you know, search that you're, you're trying to answer a, a certain question. And so if you have that in mind, you can start to say, okay, well, let's answer your question, not at the fringes, 
but at the core of what you're trying to get to, are we trying to launch a new partner model? We're trying to launch new products. We're trying to launch a new space. And so if you can start to understand, okay, is this a small request that's tip of the iceberg? And we need to look underneath the ocean floor to see how large this request is. Then you can really formalize what the appropriate response would be. Jeff, that's really sage advice. And for our listeners, whether you're on the operation side of the business or we have a lot of CROs and go-to-market executive leaders who are listeners, I think it's really important to listen to what Jeff just said, which is encourage your people to ask why you're asking for the information. Or if you are providing the information, make sure you ask why and try to turn the insights from that report that you might be generating into recommendations or foresights. Because I found when I have an operations leader coming to me and said, hey, Ray, I did this report and here's what I found. And here's a couple ideas of things we might be able to do to impact some of the metrics I just prepared. I saw them as a strategic equal on the table. And I would often bring them in and executive team members and share that advice. Do you see a lot of revenue operations leaders really doing that today, Jeff? Can't speak for other leaders. I hope they do. I can tell you that uh, you know if you join my team, you know one of the things that we enable on is okay. Well, what are the technical skills that you're going to need? The hard skills, and what are the soft skills that you're going to need? And those soft skills are critically important. How do you manage up? How do you manage cross-functionally? How do you influence without having direct authorization or authority? Fourth, you know the concept of you know building a consultant slide. So ask the so what, ask what's next, what's the risk and obstacles in your path, and then what are your solutions to potentially to mitigate those risks? So if you have like a, a you know, process around that, you could start to at least take your answers and your summaries to the next level. Yeah, I know there's not one type of RevOps function, but when you speak, Jeff, what I hear is a classically trained business consultant. So I think Accenture trained you well. So when you're trying to hire revenue operations people, regardless of whether on the data side, process, integration, analytics, how do you actually interview and tease out those soft skills that you're looking for? Do you have questions? Do you look at it from an experience basis? How do you do that? So there's different styles of questions that you can ask. So when you're interviewing, you can put folks a situation and hopefully they're using something as simple as a star format, situation, task, action, and result. Second thing is, you know, really doing a different type of interview, which is a hypothetical interview at a double click, similar to how we're actually engaging this conversation. The third is on the strategic mindset, really testing for business acumen. So more of a case-like interview. So if you bring the right tool to the right situation, you can at least start to identify, okay, what are some of the things that I'm trying to measure engage because oftentimes your interviews are 30 minutes to an hour and you don't really get to know someone that well. If you make an offer, you might be able to get some references on the back end, but there's a whole lot of body of work that you really don't get a lot of insight to, especially since it's a short window of time. So you want to design your interview questions really carefully and get as much information on a minimal basis to say, this is a minimal viable candidate that can make a great team member. I was reading one of your blogs, and I, I think I heard that you're actually going to be creating some curriculum for revenue operations professionals. And since it's such a new profession, I think that's so sorely needed. And you could actually take early career professionals who maybe don't come from an operations background and actually give them the minimal viable skills to be a RevOps professional. Do you agree? Can you turn early career people into RevOps professionals through onboarding and training? Or do they need the experience? So that's this chicken and egg argument, this circular, like, how can I get experience if I don't have a job? And how can I get a job without experience? My philosophy around hiring, particularly for entry-level roles, 
is to take the folks who are hungry and who've taken the research. So it's not that hard to go perform, you know, go do some informational interviews, take folks who are in the position that you want to be in out for coffee and just really pick their brain. Now the pick their brain message on LinkedIn is the, I think the dreaded one personally, but if you're someone that's trying to break into the space or career switch, I, I usually do respond. And so, you know, when I learned revenue operations, a lot of it came from just having general business acumen and then clarifying exactly what my stakeholders were looking for in terms of developing the skills over time. You know, there are going to be the technical pieces like, okay, you, if it's a systems administration role and it's pretty early, you're going to want to have some of those technical skills. You can go on Salesforce Trailhead or, you know, HubSpot's Academy. Second thing is the reading between the lines. You know, personally, I actually still read a lot of sales books, marketing books, listen to a lot of podcasts, trying to get in the, the inside of the heads of my stakeholders. And then third, trial and error over time. So once you're in the role, the opportunity to ask for stretch assignments, over deliver on the actual projects that you have in place. And then finding ways to actually over time shortcut how much time you take in order to complete those tasks. So for example, learning SQL or automation or design, learning how to do it in a faster way. That then allows you to deliver a higher level of work in probably the same or less amount of time. I'm going to make a bold statement here, and I want to see if you agree. So customer acquisition, retention, expansion used to be a fairly linear process. And in today's world, it's not linear at all, right? It's not only, it's not circular, but it's just interactive all the time. And I believe that understanding that customer journey from an operations perspective is a critical skill set for the chief revenue officers of tomorrow. So I believe almost rotational programs like we used to see in big companies where you might spend six months to a year in this role and then six months to another year in that role, like maybe it's an SDR, then it's operations, then it's growth or demand gen. Do you think revenue operations is a core experience and competency that the CRO of B2B tech companies in the future must have? Ooh, that is a bold question. I'm going to say... No, not necessarily having to have been in the role itself, but having the experience of doing certain tasks that revenue operations can and normally does take on, I think it can be helpful. So for example, early stage CROs, they may or may not even have sales operations. So sometimes they're actually in the systems themselves. And what they're really learning is how do my reps access the information that they need? How do they input it in? How do their managers then get the information that they need in order to help them coach them through their deals? The second piece is really the reporting. You know, how do I know, you know, what's the state of my pipeline? How is the state performing versus the previous state? What's the trend pattern behind that? So, and then designing comp plans, actually writing down, hopefully it's a simple comp plan, you're not writing anything complex at a small company, but those skill sets allow you to think, okay, so, you know, these are tactical, but really important pieces in order to get our go-to-market team working. So they may not have the title of revenue operations, but they've certainly taken on many things that revenue operations do at other companies. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're all biased by our own experiences, right, Jeff? And I grew up my first 10 years in GE back when it was considered kind of the executive leadership development organization in North America. And when I went to the executive leadership programs, I was surrounded typically by people who came from audit, financial audit. And at GE back in the early 90s, if you were in financial audit, it was viewed that you had a better perspective on the business than almost any other function because you looked at supply chain finances, you looked at sales finances, you looked at financing finances. And I'm going to say that for early stage career people who think they want to be the head of the go-to-market revenue function, I think having a 
if it's not RevOps, like you said, one of those roles that touches RevOps, I think it's going to give you an unfair advantage to be the executive revenue leader in the future. So that's one man's perspective, Jeff. I think it's interesting. I used to interview, I interviewed for iBanking jobs and we had these the three financial statement questions. How did the three statements interact together? And what you're doing is you're essentially breaking down you know, the, the interactions of a company, you know, as if it's anatomy and how all parts and organs work together. Very similar when you're working, when you're building an operating model, top of funnel, all the way down the middle of the funnel with sales, all the way to CS, you build that out. You really do have a strong appreciation for, you know, how customers join and be part of your company's journey. I totally agree. Well, you know, we're already coming up to the end of our time together, Jeff, but I did want to ask you one other question because you really are one of the best influencers and thought leaders around revenue operations that I've spoken to. And I want you to pull out your crystal ball. And if you could say, here's how I think revenue operations is going to impact the business performance of B2B tech companies over the next two to five years. What are those metrics that you're going to be able to look back on and say, here's how we impacted business? So in terms of core metrics, there's a couple of things that I would, I would look for. Improvement in customer acquisition costs. Second is acceleration to launching into new markets and launching new products. The ability to accelerate your roadmap in terms of either geographical expansion or new product portfolios. It's all going to be based on the execution of the areas that you're already building out. So to me, that's the driver is being a strategic, a strategic partner to that go-to-market engine that a company's building. You know, I've never heard another revenue operations actually say that. And I totally agree because when you look at how B2B cloud and SaaS companies scale, it's typically they add more product, they add new customer markets, whether that's new industries, new geographies on a global basis, et cetera. And to your point, we measure things like customer acquisition cost payback period or the customer acquisition cost ratio, or we look at customer lifetime value to CAC ratio. And when organizations try to expand their footprint, their customer footprint, those metrics get way out of whack in the first three, six, nine, and even 12 months. So that's why we talk about cohort-based analysis, right? So make sure you understand your existing customer cohort has these performance metrics, but this new one, hey, my CAC ratio might be 2.5, but it's trending back to a 1.5. I don't think most revenue operations people think that way, Jeff. I think that's brilliant. And I think that's something that the more you can share that with the RevOps professionals out there, I think the better the function and profession is going to become. Well, I'm hoping we can grow this pie that we call revenue operations for all businesses, all industries, shapes or sizes. Totally agree. It's, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you when we were first were talking about you coming on the podcast, I first came up with the concept of RevOps squared in 2008 because I saw this fundamental need not only for alignment, but integration of all the go-to-market functions. And we just weren't there yet. But now that we have such a more complex customer buy journey, I think it's the right time. That I do have one more question I got to ask though before I wrap up. And that is, going back to another post that you made regarding how much we're spending on revenue tech, whether it's $500 a month per resource or $1,000 a month. My question is, what is RevOps role in managing the revenue tech stack? Do you own the decisions or do you just own the responsibility for the integration and harmonization of all those tech products that sales buys or marketing buys or customer success buys? So Sam Levon, the CEO of Mad Kudu, recently told me about his framework around the three A's, which is architecture, administration, and analysis. 
Now, depending on the nature of how ownership is split, you're going to hopefully own all three at the lower levels or early stages of the company. But as the company matures, you really want to focus more on the analytics and hopefully the architecture and shuck and leave the administration to other groups. So in my mind, you know, if the systems are starving out all the higher order areas, because the systems is really focusing in the business, good data, data getting to the right places, making sure you're getting to the right people in the right hands. And then you, you want to shift eventually over time to on the business. Like what are the analytics? What's the analysis and decision-making that we need to drive to move the business forward? You know, hopefully you're not spending as much time, you know, trying to get systems to talk to each other in the work. But every company that goes through this early on, sure enough, you're trying to get all the parts to work together. So the responsibilities change over time from more of that administration all the way to architecture and then eventually to that, that analytics. At you. But I don't think what I didn't hear was, should RevOps have the ability to say no to a new tech that a head of marketing or head of sales is trying to bring in because you know it doesn't fit into the architecture or the insights you're trying to drive? Oh, 100%, right? No one wants to have a blueprint in mind and you're driving towards systems governance and a design towards meeting the needs of the business. And then someone says, hey, I heard about this cool tool. Can you go through uh, your vendor evaluation process? Or, hey, I already executed it. Do you mind implementing it? Got you. Thank you, Jeff, for clarifying that. Hey, okay, we got to wrap up, but there's a couple of questions I want to ask you to give our listening audience a chance to get to know Jeff a little bit better. And the first is, is there a CEO or a company that you think is a must-follow in 2021? So I'm going to cite one of our investors, Emergence Capital. I, I speak with some of our investors uh, fairly frequently and, and from their center of excellence to understand how we can better improve ourselves as a portfolio company. But I know their partners have been joining a ton of different events, speaking to you know best practices, not just in terms of running a company, but in terms of go-to-market. And so I, I would definitely, you know, if you have not reading their blog, at least subscribe to it. And for those of you who don't know Emergence Capital, they were one of the first, if not the very first VC companies that specialized just in B2B SaaS. And they were one of the early investors in Salesforce. So you're right. They have a lot of great insights and experience. Second of all, is there a tool that every SaaS company should be using? You see a lot of them. Is there one you're like, boy, they got to have this in today's reality? Ooh, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Any tool that helps drive adoption. Lately, I've really enjoyed Scratchpad. You know, they're a small company, they're rather new. So anything that drives adoption around your CRM. Second is anything that it can bring insights and analytics to the management team beyond the capabilities of Salesforce itself. Some folks use a Tableau or a Looker, but those are a little heavy-handed. So you can find something a little bit lighter frame. We use Atrium, so that, that's one tool that, uh, that's helped us. Great. But I loved your bigger themes of that which drives adoption and that which provides better insights into the business performance. That's wonderful. Last question, Jeff. If you were talking to a recent college graduate or an early career professional who's deciding where they really want to make their home, what advice would you give to them about considering a revenue operations career? Touched on it earlier, but a world tour and the ability to see the go-to-market, basically everything around the world in a short time period, that's a pretty wonderful experience, right? So uh, you might be a little bit more narrower if you're working for a large company, but if you're working for a startup, I can tell you that you're going to have from the get-go a lot of autonomy. And when you say world tour, you're meaning about cross-functional experiences, right, Jeff? You're going to be talking to you know people in marketing and sales, folks in customer success, Hopefully, folks in finance and product, and you know, you become like this little nexus within the company. Hey, Jeff, if people want to follow you and hear more of your insights and perspectives, where can they follow you, Jeff? So I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me under Jeff Ignacio. 
I am also at Twitter, and then I have a couple of written articles on both Substack and Podia, which you can find on my LinkedIn profile. Well, that's a wrap to today's episode of the Metrics to Measure Up podcast. Jeff, I really want to thank you. This has been one of the more intellectually stimulating, engaging conversations I've had. And to our listening audience, if you find our guests and the content that we're sharing valuable, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, provide us a rating, and even a recommendation of how can make the podcast even better for you. Jeff, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.